I'm Katie Atwell, co-host of the Edugals podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. I am excited to be here with you all on this wonderful evening. It may be daytime, wherever in the world that you are. Thank you, as always, for making My EdTech Life what it is today. We really appreciate all of your support, all the likes, shares, and follows. Really, really mean a lot to us. So thank you, as always. And I'm really excited about today. We have an amazing guest. Uh, Kevin, I have been following him on the TikTok space, and he has been doing some amazing work, especially a lot of content around the area of mathematics. And of course, being a math, former math teacher myself, and obviously having a, a just a passion for learning and seeing Kevin's style of really bringing math and simplifying it in such a way in making it visual, making it easy to understand, and obviously showing us different ways to get to the same answer has been something that has really caught my attention. So I'm excited and thrilled to introduce to you Mr. Kevin Chirac to the show. Kevin, how are you this evening? I'm, I'm doing great. It's been a really wild ride. Excellent. Well, I, I, I'm sure it has been. I know your account, excuse me, is grown tremendously on TikTok since I have first started following you. You are doing a lot of lives, uh, you know, with other math teachers uh, talking about, you know, math content. And so I'm really excited also to hear your story because very interesting in the bio. I love the phrase that you say, you know, you are, you know, a what was the word? I think it was a career changer. So we'll definitely talk a lot about that because there's a parallel between your story and my story as well as far as changing careers and so on. But before we get into the heart of the conversation, Kevin, can you please introduce yourself to our audience members who may not be aware of who you are yet or follow you yet? Because I guarantee that after today's conversation, your accounts will definitely grow. But tell us a little bit about yourself. And if you can, maybe just add one little interesting thing that people may not know. Oh, sure. So my name is Kevin Chirac. I am currently the um, coordinator and lead tutor for the Math Assistance Center at Northern Illinois University. I am also a career changer and go by the name engineer to educator on TikTok and on Instagram and on YouTube. So my, my background is one in industrial engineering, where I did that for about five or so years with the purpose of trying to understand how math is used in the real world so that I could come back as a teacher and be able to engage with my students and show them exactly why they were being asked to take these classes to get this degree and what information they needed to be able to participate in the conversations that were going to come their way at work. Excellent. And, you know, something that you mentioned there was something very important is how you use the math in the real world. And often that has been the question, even myself, you know, going, coming up from grade school all the way to 12th grade. And even, you know, even when I went into university and doing some math courses, it wasn't until then that I saw that connection. But I, be, I truly believe had my teachers would have given me more of an explanation and, and really making the math relatable to real world, I think I probably would have stuck 
you know, maybe with a different career and, and maybe gone into teaching right away. But we all know things happen for a reason. But here we are now. And like I said, even as a former math teacher, uh, you know, just seeing that growth. And then, of course, now understanding more of the math and development of math and students, different uh, ways of learning and obviously different ways of presenting. So I'm really big on that now. So thank you so much for that. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. So career changer, working in industry. So tell us a little bit about that first and foremost uh, before that. Okay. So was, did you always think that you would be going into education or was it something that you already knew that say, you know, I'm going to go the engineering route and I'm going to be just engineering and that's what I have planned. And tell us a little bit about that transition now into what you're doing. Sure. Well, I wish that, you know, like many undergraduates are experiencing right now that I, I had a plan for my life and that the life just went about in the way that I had planned for it. But that is, of course, never the case. I, I grew up in an academic house where my parents were both teachers. And so academics were always very important. And, and as a result of not only being very interested in those subjects, but also having a lot of support, I was able to start tutoring about the same time that I started college. And while I was tutoring, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I was also hearing a very persistent question from students, which is, why do I need to know this? And it is a good question. I think that it signals that the student is very engaged in their learning. And although I could make up answers or take other people's answers for my own and extrapolate from the problems that are in the back of every math chapter or science textbook, I really did want to be able to answer that in a way that I noticed a lot of the other math teachers were having difficulty doing. So a combination of wanting to explore that for myself and also wanting to, to help out future students, I went into engineering. And specifically, I went into industrial engineering because an industrial engineer is often put in the role as project manager amongst other engineers. And that let me experience the 100 level classes in just about every other discipline and just enough that I could talk to those topics. But please don't ask me to make anything move or sing or build anything like that's not my style. I can explain it, but I, I am not one to do it. And um, so that that direction took me into industrial engineering. I got into a rotation program that bounced me across the country where I was in Pittsburgh and California and Philadelphia. And that ability to move let me excel up the corporate ladder pretty quickly. And eventually I hit to a, a place that I wasn't really gaining the experience as much as I wanted anymore. It didn't feel like what I had entered the field to do. And so I, I figured that was a good time to call it. And I went back to get my master's degree in math with a focus in education. And I began teaching at Northern Illinois University until I got my current position as the manager of the Math Assistance Center there. Wow, that's great. And, you know, that's such a wonderful story because just those experiences that you had, and I always often say, you know, the, the fact that as a career changer, many of us that come into education, before we get into ed education, we've been able to see things through a different perspective, different experiences where we can make what we will be working in, or in this case, teaching relatable now to the real world because we've lived it. And now we're bringing those experiences into the classroom and making those connections. So that's something that I really uh, admire about you and the fact that you, you know, moved around very often and got to work with so many different people. 
Now, during your current role, he did mention, actually, excuse me, your previous role as a project manager in uh, during industry. Uh, what did you have opportunities, you know, as a project manager to be able to teach up, you know, many of your colleagues and and maybe harness some of those skills that were easily transferable now? Well, there was there was a quite a variety of jobs that I experienced. I had just about a different job uh, for each of the five years that I worked in engineering, and it's because for the the first uh, job that I had was a rotation program that was specifically oriented on how to train up future leaders for the company. And so I began as a quality engineer and a manufacturing engineer. When I moved from there to Pittsburgh, I worked in marketing and sales, and then from what there when I moved to California. I worked in direct leadership and supervising. Uh, when I when I left that company, I assumed a role as an operations manager with a smaller company in Philadelphia, and then eventually became an area manager with Amazon. So I had a quite a variety in all of these different jobs, and I got to see all of the different you know reasons why they were bringing somebody like me into those positions and the value that we were supposed to be adding, the value that we could see that others didn't. And all of that, I feel like, has really given me the ability to connect with my students, even if they are not going in the exact same direction with their career as I did with mine. Excellent. So now transitioning into your current role, you know, going from engineering and, of course, the various roles that you've had and experiences, why math? And not maybe, hey, let me go into, you know, English or let me do, you know, uh, chemistry or science or something of that sort. Why specifically math? Well, definitely my, my passion for the subject had a lot to do with it. And I am, I'm experienced within math. One thing that I was asked on a, a TikTok chat and comment was why I hadn't gone into trying to get my master's in engineering and eventually teaching engineering. And I think it again comes back to the the idea that I wanted to go into engineering to lend something new. And if I went into engineering, I would still have a lot that I needed to learn to be able to provide a new insight in engineering. But in terms of math teaching, I could bring my engineering experience to let that be the extra added value in a math classroom that a lot of the other math teachers didn't already have. And that let me contribute differently to the education of the students. Wonderful. And see, that's something that I really enjoy. And, and you know, the way that you describe that, you know, bringing those experiences to the students, making those connections. And of course, something that you're already very familiar with and the added value. That's something that is so, so important that I really love that you um, share. So tell us a little bit now, you know, of obviously transitioning now into this role, you know, you're doing math, that added value that you have, but what sort of skills, again, that just to make those connections relevant to also to see what students are needing, but based on your experience, what were some of the most important set of skills that now you bring into your math, uh, the work that you do with students in mathematics? Sure. Well, especially because I, I enjoy adult education and I work with those undergraduates and, and specifically I work at a public university, which means that we get students with all differing experiences within math and all different abilities within math. So when I am working with them, one thing that I notice is that if you present the material to them in a way that is, uh, we'll say rigorous and correct, that is not usually the best way to reach them. 
that I, whereas textbooks, for example, often will present something that's important at the beginning. And then when you ask why that is important, they say it's important because you need it to know the next thing and the next thing after that. And the next thing after that, that, that isn't something that the students are willing to buy into for very long. But if instead you can begin with a more real world experience or a connection to how they can utilize it either right now or in their future job, you're willing to get their buy-in. And it's not that the entire class needs to be about practical application because education should not be just about how it's going to apply to a specific vocation, but it should be for learning for learning's sake. At the same point, you have to not focus on teaching the material. You have to focus on teaching the student. And if the student is not interested in the way you are teaching, it is important to adapt. Oh, absolutely. You know, I just had a conversation this past uh, Saturday. We had uh, Let's Talk Ed Research, who's also a TikTok creator. And we are connected a, now. Yes. Yes, we are definitely connected. So he was on Saturday. And this is exactly what we talked about, the importance of understanding the students and, and knowing the way they learn and making those connections. And so, you know, he talks about his theater background and in his theater background, it's all about improvisation. And for him, those skills that he brought into the classroom was to be able to kind of improvise on, all right, if this lesson isn't going as well as I think I, it, well, like I thought it was, you know, we can improvise and kind of make sure that we engage all students and that way they are all completely paying attention and maybe seeing things from those different perspectives with the end goal in mind of everybody understanding. And I talked a little bit about my experience coming in from marketing into the classroom, thinking I have 29 uh, young customers that I have to sell algebra to and not everybody has is going to buy it the same way because not everybody needs eight cup holders. Some may only want four. But knowing your customer was very important so you can engage them in that way that you need to. So I really love that you you stated that because I think right now a, a little bit about what I'm seeing, at least in my experiences, it's been very difficult to engage some students. And as we know, obviously, because, you know, we're seeing those effects of the pandemic and, you know, students that were like today, we did a walkthrough for our eighth grade math teachers and just walking through just a quick hi by visiting, like what kind of resources do you need? Um, you know, please let us know if you need any additional lessons and so on. But, you know, in talking to some of the eighth grade teachers, they're like, you know, everything's good, but we're we're moving along, you know, because those kids, those students in fifth grade, they were already out and they didn't come back till, you know, maybe like seventh and eighth grade full year. And it's been kind of like playing catch up and trying to make those connections and so on. So it's been something that's been difficult. But, you know, it like you said, it's very important that you mention that. And one thing that I love, too, is simplifying the math in a way that they understand it. You know, I think uh, I want to ask you of your experience, maybe K through 12, you know, was your experience more of you had that rigid, you know, the, your rigid math teachers that this is the way it's always done. This is the way that I'm going to do it. Or did you have some teachers that were pretty good at my, my kind of just stepping a little outside the box and explaining things differently? What was your experience like? Sure. Well, I, I definitely, uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy with the schools that I went to and I'm very happy with the teachers that I had a chance to work with. But I also recognize that I had a distinct advantage in that my mom is also a math teacher, a college math teacher, which provided me with an at-home tutor and a lot of the privilege that I got to experience growing up. And I, very specifically, I remember 
you know, having a, a, a day when I was going to class and I was learning about lines and slope and coming back home and we're talking around the dinner table and my parents asked me what I learned that day. And I go, I learned about this line thing with slopes and I don't know when I'm ever going to need this or why it's important. And before I know it, the table is cleared off and the graph paper is out and everybody is rallying around this. And that's what I grew up with as it related to learning like learning was just a way of bonding it was always communal discussion like i am not one who enjoys like even if you go on tiktok like it's really funny because there will be math videos that pop up on like here's how you do the problem and i will scroll right by them because i'm just as bored by that as everybody else is i don't want it to be about the mechanics i don't want it to be about always the technique i want it to be about the story and i want the technique and the mechanics to feed into that It'd be the same as if I was watching somebody talk about the proper way to grip a dumbbell instead of going to the gym because I enjoy the gym I go to. Love it. I love it. And, you know, speaking of which, like you said, you know, running into those videos, I distinctly remember uh, going through uh, one of your videos popped up. You did a stitch and there's a gentleman who always does the I think it's the SAT questions, you know, the most <laughs> difficult. And Mommy. Mr. Yeah. Bobby. Yeah. But you know, what I loved was immediately like you popped in and it's like, well, this is the way it's done. But then you gave the why. And that's something that I love because it, one thing is to just mimic the math, which so oftentimes, you know, for myself, like I said, coming in from a different background, but teaching the way I taught. Uh, and and I, I talked to my content specialist who is great do, using the CPA model, which is, you know, starting with concrete objects, then pictorial representations, and then going into the abstract, which would then be kind of working with the algorithm. And that completely blew my mind, it, you know, being a, a classroom teacher for 11 years. And I said, if I would have known the why and why we do this rather than, well, this is the way it's done. Let's line up the numbers. Let's borrow. Let's carry. Let's do this. I, you know, looking back in hindsight, I'm like, man, if I would have known that and given and had a great answer for the why, the way you explained that, the story behind it, I think that's something that is so powerful. So tell me about your experience there as far as right now, I know you do a lot of content where you show the why. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. How did that idea come about? Oh, well, I think that's just how I've always been attracted to the subject is when you have an idea of why something works that puts you in the driver's seat. Everything else puts you as, a, as somebody who's trying to copy steps or techniques. But when you know the why, now you are the one who is being empowered. And that starts to make you realize after a certain amount of time that the, the great geniuses and the great clever people of the past were also human and that all they you know mostly had like some of them may have had special abilities and some of them had a definitely a large number of opportunities but a lot of it also came down to being at the right place at the right time and having a sense of ownership over your own creativity that that these these aren't unreachable goals this is something that everybody can can aspire to have so when, when you give them the why, now they can learn, now they can be empowered, which is part of my, my mission as a teacher is to empower students to be able to take control of their lives and to be able to use this information in a way that they think serves them best. It, it really does open them 
up as humans. And it surprises people, but I do say that a, a successful math class, a good math class is one where you can go and practice your skills of empathy because you get an opportunity to recognize that there are many different ways of looking at a problem. There are many different ways of expressing an answer. And because we are all focused on the same target, it holds space for people with different ideas than you, which also therefore gives you a, a chance to, to not immediately jump to conclusions. Yes, no, I absolutely agree what you're saying. And, you know, just to, again, going back to my experience, it's uh, and for a couple of years, you know, I guess it was pre-pandemic. It was always a way of doing things. And uh, Amy uh, Mayer, uh, she shared this phrase with me and it's called the twatty. And it's called, it's, this is the way we've always done it. And our district. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that one. I had yeah. To be, okay. So the, the twatty. So this is, <laughs> this is the way we've always done it. And it's something that now even I shared that clip with our central office and everybody's like, oh my gosh, like this makes so much sense that, you know, we're expecting different results, but yet we're still doing things the way that they, we've always done it. And it, so this year there has been uh, just a great kind of a, you know, acceptance more of doing math a little different. And I'm only speaking for math just because of this conversation, but everything else in the district, you know, teachers are opening up a little bit more and just trying things differently because I think now they see that they kind of have to, you know, the students have changed a lot, um, trying to teach the way that you know, I was taught back in 1998, 99 is not going to work the way it is now. Although, you know, I do say good teaching is good teaching, but good teaching, you're going to have, you know, different tools in your tool belt to present the material for all your students. So that's something that is great. Now, I want to ask you personally, with the work that you do with your students, what are some of the things that you're seeing from them that once you explain the why to them, are you getting some like those light bulb moments or where they're seeing those connections or, you know, I just, I'm just curious. Oh, every time. It's one of the reasons why I really enjoy my current position as being the, the coordinator of the math assistance center is because it gives me a chance to interact with the students in a way that is not a lecture environment. In fact, it's not only how I interact with the students, it's also the environment I can set up for them to be able to interact with each other. For example, today there was a student who came into the math center, with, uh, was taking a 100 level class, did not have a fantastic past relationship with math, was not very happy to be there, and was also what I would describe as a fragile student, one where if you directed them to the answer and the answer turned out to be wrong, and the computer system didn't accept it, they were one to think that this just was beyond their ability and their reach, and they were very much wanting to shut down. And in the tutoring center, it's helpful to be able to also have at the other table a person who is studying Calc 2, a person who is studying differential equations, where you can look at them and there is just a number of pieces of paper around them, all of which are failed attempts, and they are constantly trying the, these harder problems for long periods of time and not necessarily getting anywhere. And to have another student act as that role model encourages the students that to not get something on the first go is okay and is in fact, to a certain degree, what we are practicing and the professional skill set we want them to have by the time they graduate. Wonderful. That's great. And so now going back into that too as well, now that you get to see just a wide variety of students, like you said, you know, students that are coming in at the 
you know, 100 level course. And mm-hmm. then, of course, you've got the students that are working on Cal 1. Cal it feels 2. like academic bartending. I've got to constantly be for everybody in different ways. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> I, I want to ask you from your experience, I guess, maybe in working with the, the students that are coming in in that 100 course, what are some of the things that may be missing as far as foundation? Uh, what would you say or maybe recommend or see that K-12 might do a little bit better to have students come in better prepared and not as fearful of the math? That's a really good question. It's it's something that led me actually to some work on my thesis. And so I I had my, again, master's in math education, and I was very interested in uh, trying to find something that was backed up by research, that was a teaching strategy that I could employ to find that missing link, right? That engineering mentality of like, if I can find that one thing, then everything will, will go better. And um, I, I'm not going to say that I found it yet, but one thing that I was able to, to research and, and experiment with and which had a very big effect was the ability to remove or in some ways at least limit the number of times that a student is graded. And, and what that has shown me, because I, uh, to give you the full background, I had a class where I gave the students the option of being able to receive the traditional grades on homework and quizzes and tests, uh, or they could let their homework and quizzes be opportunities where they attempted the problems. And then I gave them feedback. And then they told me how they thought they were tracking towards mastery, which freed up 80% of their experience to be one where they weren't worried about pressures of performing. They could instead switch their mindset over to learning. And that had a statistically significant increase, both from the two groups that were in my class, as well as a number of other sections that were acting as control groups. And what that shows me in combination with a large body of research that I was using as my inspiration is that the students are often coming in with this defeatist mindset because we are constantly judging them for trying. And we are constantly holding it against them if they didn't know things immediately. I, when I took linear algebra, which was a class I took as my first math class transferring to university, I got a C. And it was because it was a lecture hall environment with a teacher who I was unfamiliar with their accent, spoke quietly into the board and erased as they drew. And now I can teach that. But for forever, that grade will be on my transcript. And that is the kind of experience students have to a much larger degree sometimes. So it is almost silly for us to expect them to try again when every time they try, they are held to a standard of needing to be perfect. Yes, that's so very powerful. And, you know, when I was in the classroom, I I think it was probably the last four years, I kind of moved into this ungrading uh, method, which is kind of very similar to what you're describing, where, you know, I would just create a rubric for the assignments that we were doing, and we were able to focus more on the learning rather than the grade. I never gave any homework at all whatsoever. I was anti-homework because also many of my students may not have the support that they have at home. So I said, you know, I would get phone calls maybe about two or three weeks at the very beginning of the year. And Mr. Mendoza, uh, I don't see, you know, my son or daughter, they're not bringing in a book. They're not bringing anything home. Are they supposed to be doing something? And there were concerned, like a lot of concerns. And I said, no, it's okay. I don't assign any homework. Everything that we do, we do in class because I want to make sure that we're practicing and we're practicing correctly. 
And then, of course, we're focusing more on the learning than the actual grade. So it was more of kind of trial by error, seeing that growth. But everything was measurable in the sense that everything was on a digital format. So they created little learning portfolios where we can measure where they were or visually see where they were from the very beginning of the year to the end of the year. And they can track their progress that way. And then when, if, if and when I needed to go into an IEP meeting or a 504 meeting, I was able to pull that work up in a digital format and they, the people in the uh, committee were able to see like, oh, wow, like we're, we're seeing that growth where sometimes, sometimes I, and I'm not saying all the time, but there may be teachers that kind of go in and say, well, they're failing. Well, why? Well, they're just not passing the test. Well, what do they need to do? They just need to study more, but where's the evidence? So I think that's something that's very important there too, but I love uh, what you shared. And I guess it's very similar to what we were doing. I, I'm not demanding the the perfection and that you know it all the time, but I do want to see that we're working towards that goal and working towards getting the right answer. And then that relieves so much pressure from the students that they were willing to take risks to show you their work in different ways. They so were. I think that's something that's wonderful. Yeah. When, when you talk with the students and they're like, oh, the, the students aren't willing to try. I'm like, do they play video games? I'm like, because then they're very much willing to try because that's what video games are. It's constant failure. You're constantly restarting the game. So like, it's not a matter of them being unwilling to try. It's a matter of why would you start a game where if you tripped up once, you were never going to be able to play it again. Like what they like it's, it's a very, so this is a, a mindset that I do believe is one that I carry with me from engineering, where in engineering to make a change to a process, you needed to have involved a number of people who are involved, who are related to that process. You needed to have a plan. That plan needed to be backed up with data. And then you needed to try your change in small and increasing ways until eventually you rolled it out completely. And then you monitored to be able to find out whether or not that change had the intended effect. That is a whole process. It takes a lot of energy. And academia is a place where there's as much data as we ever want to collect. But sometimes I do feel like we don't let that data drive decisions. And instead, we try to cherry pick the data that we want to be able to force the decisions we already decided on. Exactly. One thing that I want to ask you now and kind of transitioning to into uh, the work that you do in a lot of the videos is the, the ability to make the math visual. You know, I think that's something that is so important and so important for our students. So I absolutely love your video content where you really break it down. You're doing area model mm -hmm. uh, or people may call it the box method. Uh, the most recent video that I really love too was uh, the division of polynomials and how I, I was, I never knew that, you know, again, obviously we know that the opposite of multiplication is division or you've got one side, you've got mm -hmm. this and then setting that up. And I was like, you know, if I would have known this back in the day, it would have made my life so much easier. So uh, these methods that you share, you know, the pictorial, which is great, and then leading up to the abstract, is this something that you picked up, uh, obviously, from your, you know, bonding time with your family? Or is this something that as you kind of grew, you learned more? And why, why, I guess I want to say like, uh, why is this so important to you to make it visual? Because I would just want to hear that because just for those teachers that say, no, 
standard algorithm all the way, all the way. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it all comes back down to the fact that I am trying to teach my students. And so from that mentality, I am always trying to find a low floor, high ceiling way of presenting this material. As a lot of these are techniques that I picked up. I am not as original of a thinker to be able to create all of these on my own. Dr. James Tanton is a mathematician at large for the Math Association of America. Great inspiration for me. Uh, there, there are a number of other techniques that I've pulled on or taken and then seen how far I can push them. Like, can I take this idea of the area model for multiplication? Can I make that division? Can I make that explain division by zero? Can I tackle these problems that have always been, been frustrating for people and just continue to push those boundaries? But the idea is that I always want to find a way where a student can get engaged into the lesson as quickly as possible. And I have to account for the fact that sometimes the student wasn't there the day before. Sometimes the student is tired that day. And for the most part, like if, if you are a person with sight, then we are visual creatures and we process 80% of our experience in life through our eyes and from that logic, it makes very little sense to me why, if there is a way of representing something visually, we would instead choose something that isn't. Yeah, I love that. And so going back to that, and that's one of the things that really um, excites me about your content, because this is the kind of work that we're doing in our district with our math specialist, myself and my colleague who are instructional techs and being able to go to campuses and even, you know, using our experience with technology. And, you know, virtual manipulatives, the use of those, making the math visual. So if you don't have the concrete and a lot of the things that we get is the teachers are like, well, the kids are going to throw them all over the place and this. And it's like, ha ha. Well, we've got virtual manipulatives. So let me show you a polypad. And now they kind of get to see like, hey, there's an option here where we can make it visual. The students are able to create. They're able to share. And so th that is what really excites me now that a lot of the teachers after, I think this is our sixth year of kind of sharing and preaching, uh, I guess you would say the gospel of manipulatives, it's slowly, slowly making its way a little bit more because obviously one of the reasons too is in Texas, and I don't know if you're aware, but they did change our state testing. And so they call it star 2.0, where now the students have drag and drops. They have to construct now. And a lot of those problems uh, resemble the manipulatives, the base 10 blocks or the algebra tiles, and they have to construct. So now they see the importance of that. So, um, yeah, so I completely agree. We definitely want to make sure that our students get access to every tool that they get. So in order for them to be very successful. And it's right. also incredibly important to give the student a way that they can explain the material to somebody else. Not only can they explain it to their, their friend, but you want to get them in the practice of being able to teach material because when they get into the professional world where many of them will go, the people who get funded for their projects and ideas are the ones who can explain it simply to an audience that doesn't have their same level of expertise. Like they need to be able to relate and communicate and empathize and pictures are a wonderful tool to do that with. Oh, absolutely. I'm all about the storytelling process of mathematics and actually in any given subject. So yeah, that's great. Well, Kevin, it's, it's just been amazing. It's been wonderful. I really appreciate your time. This conversation has been very fruitful and again, just very excited. I've been sharing your link and 
you know, so people can go ahead and follow you on TikTok where you have just a great account, amazing videos, and more than anything, the importance of explaining why I need to know this. And you do it in such a great, uh, like I said, easy way in under three minutes. And like I said, I, <laughs> yes. And I share that magic with our content specialists, like I said, and we even, uh, you know, share those little snippets in our district Google Classroom for all our teachers so they can kind of see, say, hey, check this out. Like you, we don't have to do the drawn out lessons. Uh, in three minutes, we can explain, you know, multiplication. We can explain the division of polynomials and we can explain why percents can be reversed. It's so, all like you do with your videos. And again, it's just a way for them to see things in a different way. So I really appreciate it. So my question to you is now, uh, actually, before we wrap up too, I'm curious to know, how has it felt really gaining a lot of notoriety and a huge following on TikTok and especially surrounding this area of mathematics, but also the career changing? Um, so tell us a little bit about that. It, it has been a wild ride. Uh, I began this TikTok channel because I was on winter break and I had come from a very, like I said, academic bartending is the best experience I can, the best description I can have for the final exam atmosphere in a tutoring center. You're just constantly engaging and constantly sharing and you have winter break and I was being driven insane by the fact that I had all of this knowledge in my head and uh, my fiance only wanted to hear it for so long until I needed to find a different audience. And so I, I, I decided I was going to, to start the TikTok channel. And so I had begun talking about teaching and my experiences with teaching and mathematics content. And I began to get involved with the teachers of TikTok community and hearing about some of the hardships and began, you know, doing the research on teacher exodus in a number of states. And I, uh, I'm also beginning doctorate in education program that's starting this semester. So I, I began the, the channel as a way to sort of relieve all of that knowledge and to practice some teaching, but also as a study tool for myself where I could go and do this academic reading. And then as a way of studying, I could find a way of synthesizing this 55 page long article into a minute and a half long video that would begin to inspire a conversation. And in about, I think it's been about a month and a week, maybe five weeks in five weeks, I've gained 50,000 followers. It's, it's been amazing. I, I knew there was a community of people who loved math out there. And I also am so happy that this gave them an opportunity to be able to engage with material on their on their free time, right? Passively, they weren't even being graded for it. They just did it because it is inherently interesting. It's been it's been such a wild ride. No, and it's great because for myself, uh, I'm always looking towards social media for professional development. For me, I mean, watching one of your videos, I'm like, boom professional development in three minutes or less, I know how to do this problem. And then I'll go back to our math specialist and say, hey, check this out. And then say, okay, here, I can create a digital version of this, or we can use this tool to kind of give the similar effect because let's say teacher, well, I don't want it. It's too much writing or I don't want to use the manipulatives. Okay, let's go ahead and create it for you digitally. And just to give you the same effect and still have the students be able to create and use their device. And of course, they prep for, you know, the state test because they'll have to use devices and so on. But honestly, you know, your channel has definitely been great. And it's always, I'm always looking there for tips. And there is a huge math community. And again, uh, even learners now, like I said, to me, it's been so important to kind of learn this now because I, I, 
if I get the opportunity or if I do ever uh, go back to teaching or do whatever the case is, I want to be well equipped with the tools that are going to help my students succeed. And I have found that through yourself and many other creators, but also what you added today that very important. There is a lot of positive academic discourse that happens on TikTok. It's not all dances. It's all not all trends, but what you share and the conversations that you have when you go do your lives are all centered around education. And they're just great conversations that people can uh, be a part of. And I absolutely love your community, Kevin. It's been amazing. It's been a lot of fun and I've met so many wonderful people. Absolutely. And again, thank you so much for being a guest here tonight on the show and just really sharing your story and, uh, you know, the opportunity that the honor that I have to uh, amplify your story and share it with my audience so they can go ahead and connect with you as well. As you know, the mission of our podcast is to connect educators and creators one show at a time. So I'm really excited for my audience to be able to listen to your story this episode and connect with you as well. So before we wrap up, as we're already on the, the tail end of the podcast, I always love to end the show with the following three questions. So Kevin, question number one for you. In the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? I, I, thankfully, I found a way of being able to manage it. But for a very long time, it was when a student asked, why do they need to know something? Because as much as I can attach many things to the professional world, there are often things that should be learned because they are important things to know and they hold just inherent academic value. And so what I have found to handle that kryptonite is whenever a student asks me, why do I need to know this? I instead encourage them to change that phrasing into how can I use this? That puts them in the driver's seat. That gives them an idea of thinking creatively and it lets them realize that all information is good information. It's just about you looking for ways to apply it. Great answer. I love that. I love the way that you flip that on them and, and you know, it really gets them to think. So thank you. All right. Question number two, Kevin, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be? And why? I think I would just put on it that it is okay to change. And that's something that I, I want people to understand that most people did not ever, did not continue on the journey that they originally set out on. That like me, there are many career changers, that creativity requires a certain level of change and that that is not only to be expected, it's something that is just okay. Wonderful. Great answer. That's Again, for myself, I agree with you being a career changer myself. Definitely agree with that. All right. And the last question, Kevin, let's say that this was the why do I need to know this podcast? Obviously, you are the host and I am your guest. What would be one question you'd like to ask me? One thing that I am trying to also dedicate my channel to is making sure that the world understands the value of a teacher. So a good question I would have for you would be, what is one way that teachers could be better shown their value? Oh, one thing that teachers could be better shown their value. You know, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question because to me, I see that what teachers bring is something more than maybe what people are seeing in the media, what parents think that they do. 
obviously I, I see there's a lot of teachers on TikTok that, you know, get trolled and, you know, a lot of stuff that's happening. But for myself, it, it's the value is those aha moments. Okay, let me, let me take that back. And I'm going to reflect back on, on my experience. It, it's kind of hard to measure, I'd say sometimes, and the right then and there. When I became a teacher, I realized that I wasn't going to see immediate results with my students. Like they're going to get the results for the tests. You build those relationships. But for myself, I learned that that seed that you get to plant whenever you have that student, whether it's that semester or you have them for that one de- for that one year, as they go through their career, it continues to get watered by other plants, by other teachers and so on. They continue to learn. And to me, the value was what they got to do and what they got to b- become after you. You know, that you, they went through you, that that student in the future was able to do something well, was able to follow their passion, was able to just be successful in their own way and that they're okay. And I think oftentimes, like I said, we want to see that that end result right then and there. The impact is a lot longer to see. And and I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it, it, it's just in my heart right now. I, it's so hard because people, like I said, they, they just want it right then and there. What are you doing for me? How can you, how are you showing your value as a teacher? And you can give so many, so many responses. But to me, it's like, look into the world that is out there and some of those successful students or successful people that are out there. They went through a teacher like myself or even by, by, you know, were taught by me. Now I see them just being a family a family man, a family, you know, a wife, a kid, a child that is being successful. And to me, that's the greatest payback. And I don't know how we would be able to showcase that so the world can really see. It's the, it's the definitely effect. teachers add a lot of value. And I think one thing I'm wanting my channel to do is to show that sometimes we, we can, that there's a lot of ways we could do better about letting the teacher have some of that value and rewarding the teacher for all that they do yeah yeah and i i think that's you're absolutely right on that i guess maybe i just kind of went off on a a little bit because of one substitute teacher in particular that for me it dawned on me when i saw him years later after i was a teacher and he didn't recognize me because he was very old but i went up to him and i said hey you know i still remember the one lesson that you came and that's the only thing i remember from biology was c hopkins cafe when he came in that day that's the only thing I remember from ninth grade biology. And that's when it kind of dawned on me that sometimes the rewards you don't see right away, but you plant that seed. And, uh, and, and that is something to show for for a teacher. And, but you're absolutely right. That's the value that he brought to me. And, but yeah, you know, we definitely need to value this profession. It's such a noble profession and we can definitely do better. Um, but yeah, anyway. Sorry, you know, got a no, little. Uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. It's a big, it's a big topic. Yeah, yeah. But Kevin, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing because you're doing some phenomenal work. And for all our audience members that are catching us here today, please make sure that you catch up with Kevin as well. Connect with him. Uh, all the information will be in the show notes. And so make sure that you follow for some great math uh, videos. But other than that, just 
overall great content, healthy, wholesome content, career changing content, and so on. So make sure you follow his account. And also, guys, you all know our mission is to connect educators and creators one show at a time. So please make sure you visit our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out this episode and the other 168 amazing episodes that I can't believe it. We're almost at 200. But thank you so much for all of your support. Make sure you check those out because we've got great, great educators, content creators that you can just take a little bit from, sprinkle it on to what you are already doing great. And also, if you'd love to contribute to our mission of connecting educators and creators one show at a time, on our website, you'll also see a tab that says Become Awesome. So you can always go there or you can visit our merch store where you can get yourself some My EdTech Life merch. So thank you as always from the bottom of my heart. And don't forget, my friends, until next time, stay techie.